Good morning. Let's go ahead and get started. Thank you for being here this morning. It's our privilege. And, you know, I, uh, I'm a Midwestern kid, so I kind of like the weather. <laughs> I just had a lot more of this growing up. It sure beats 110 degrees and bone drop, right? So, praise the Lord for the rain and even the fog. Fathers, we turn to you this morning to need your help. Thank you that you are good and you're with us. And would you teach us now as only you can so that you would be given great glory and that we would be raised up stronger and stronger in Christ's serving. Thank you for this time again. In Jesus' name. Uh, anyone need a copy of what we're looking at today? Book of Ephesians? Or got one? going in the book of Ephesians last week and we ended with the idea of our union in Christ. And we had a Bible study of sorts in Ephesians chapter 1 that looks at all of the promises and truths and blessings and gifts that we have because we are united with Christ. And it's interesting that uh, during this week, Carol and I had an opportunity to have a conversation again on that list and even apply it in our lives and then talk to others about it. just the, the riches and fullness of blessings that we have in Christ and encouraging people with whom we are engaging to look to Christ, look at the blessings they have, to recognize the truth that is there and how pastorally encouraging that is to just have that truth that we can put in people's hands. And so um, I commend that to you, but we'll continue on and get through the book of Ephesians, at least in an introductory fashion today. Hopefully with a little bit of dependence at the end, we'll take a deeper look at one passage. So we move on then after looking at the, the importance of the church and talk about what is the church. Ephesians gives us a lot of answers about that, who we are in Christ, all the blessings we have in Christ. Thirdly, the idea of powers and fullness. Now, <clears throat> we briefly looked at this at the end. When we looked at the, the verses in chapter 1 that talk about how Christ is exalted far above or sitting in power over all the authorities and dominions and rulers and what have you, that He is exalted above all. And if we are in Christ, then we are seated with Him, as it were, above all these things. And so as we engage in spiritual battle, which we do, which we're commanded to do in Ephesians 6, we can do so because we are already in the victor. He's the one who is the victorious one. We are in union with Him and identified with Him. Therefore, we can have power over these things, which means we don't have to walk in fear. I, I think you know that uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the Scriptures there is a command here, do not be afraid, or the inverse, be of good courage. Why is that? Because we need to be reminded daily, do not be afraid and be of good courage. And good theology helps us then to not be afraid. If we know that we are already in union with Christ and He is the victorious one. I'm not saying that we don't have challenges and difficulties. I'm not saying that we don't go through darkness or trying times. I'm saying that we are united with the one who is victorious so we can move through those times 
because we are in Him. The power that is in Him, the resurrection power, the truths that we have, our position is secure. Um, in recent days, um, with Pastor Brian shared at the memorial service for his mother, who suddenly went to be with the Lord about a month and a half ago. The pastor reminded the people there that had come to grieve that the valley is not the destination. As we go through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley is not the destination. The valley is a step on the road to the destination. And if we're in Christ, our arrival is secure. It is sure in the celestial city. And if we know that that's the case, then we have a different level of confidence. Not self-confidence, Christ-confidence. That He will not fail His people. That He will walk with them. He will lead them. Not promising that they'll never have any pain or difficulty or suffering or poverty. But promising that He will be with them. He will give them what is more important than all those things. Deliverance from those things. He will give more of Himself. And I think we agree then, is Christ enough? Friday night we showed the movie here at the auditorium, The Insanity of God. And I commend to you, find it online, uh, or read the book, and be challenged with this man who interviewed hundreds and hundreds of persecuted Christians over a period of years. And they all agreed the fact that they would go through everything that they've gone through. We're talking terrible things. Because Christ is enough. And all of us at some point in our lives, we have to look at it and say, our union with Christ is enough. Come what may, or come what doesn't may come. You know, things may crash to dreams that do not happen. Christ is enough. I was very touched by these testimonies. Um, could relate to some of them just because of our own experience with many of them, far beyond anything I've ever had to endure. I have not been in a Russian prison for years at a time because I refused to give up faith in Christ. And one of the most poignant moments in the film was when this pastor was brought to prison, beaten by the prison guards, humiliated, and this was a prison of hard criminals, 1,500 of them. The first day, the next day, he got up and he faced the east and he said, I sang my morning song of joy, or what did he call it? Something like that, my morning song of praise. And he said, he raised his hands in his prison cell, sang out loud, facing the east as the sun was rising. And the other prisoners were tossing garbage at him and they're cursing him and they're angry and they're, they want him to be quiet. But every day he began his day that way. He was in prison for the gospel's sake. Because he refused to follow communism and he refused to renounce his faith in Christ. And years later, he was being led out to be executed. Beaten and then executed. And as he's being led out, suddenly all of the prisoners in the prison stood with their arms in the air and sang the morning song of praise. Amazing moment. That, my friends, is the victorious Christian life. Not big huge castle on the top of a hill with a swimming pool and a big bank. But the victorious Christian life is with our union with Christ. He is enough. And we will go through hell and back because Christ is enough.
Watch the movie. Do whatever you can to find the movie and watch it with your friends. Discuss what we can be doing to pray for our brothers and sisters who face terrible persecution in China, in North Africa, in the Middle East, in other countries that some of them have opened, former Soviet Union, but there's still persecution that goes on. And it might be then that God wants to use those kind of movies to stir us to pray and maybe to even get prepared. Because what guarantee we have, the same thing could not come. Okay? I don't say that out of fear. I say that if Christ is enough, we'll go through anything. Because we have Christ. And if we have Him, we ultimately can't lose anything. Okay? So power is in fullness. We are in Christ, and therefore we have fullness. Paul talks about us being full of the, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. In Ephesians, he uses these expressions. He wants us to experience all that we have in Christ. As a church. Remember, he's writing to a church here. Do we want that? Do we want to have everything that God has made available to us in Christ? And are we willing to pursue it? That's powers and fullness. That's one of the things that he really talks about. Um, but now he gets on a practical level all these things that are true in Christ, all of the blessings that we have, the power that we have in Christ, none of it's inherent to ourselves. Now, practically, how do we live that? And in chapter 4 he talks a lot about unity. Not only are we united with Christ, we're united with one another. And oneness is an important concept in the book of Ephesians. Um, and how do we live that out? And with daily holy sweat. Right? Not only denying ourselves, following Christ, but denying ourselves to serve others, to help others, to cry with others, to laugh with others, to serve with others, to be generous with others, because we're in this one body. I know it was interesting in that movie, you can tell I'm impacted by it, but these persecuted Christians were saying, no, there is not the, the free church and the persecuted church. There is just the church. And I thought, these guys are just giving me this great theology on churches I'm just listening to. And they understand what Paul is saying when one part of the body hurts well. And one part of the body is blessed for all blessed. And I just, I was just so impressed by the testimony of these men and women that have suffered greatly for Christ. They, they have a greater understanding that it matters what we do here because we are united part of what they are doing there. And so the church, each individual church is this outpost of the kingdom of God where we are united with believers in Christ all around the world in different cultures and life stations and languages and men and women and rich and poor and all the different classes of society. That's who we're part of. And as we worship Sunday morning, we need to be reminded that that is our ultimate identity in Christ. Uh, with the family of Christ around the world. And that's a challenge to us. We tend to get a bit myopic in our vision. Paul wants us to get rid of that, get a more global vision of who we are in Christ with the church, locally and, and around the world. Um, any thoughts on that? Because that's a challenging message. Paul is giving. Um, but I know I need to hear it. I get pretty short-sighted in how I see things and what I get involved in. And it's important for me to do well what's in front of me. But also remember that what's in front of me is not all there is. That the church is bigger than that. 
so I need those spiritual bifocals where I can focus well what's in front of me, but lift my eyes to the horizon and recognize the Church of Christ is much bigger than Guam. Okay? And my little participation in it. Then Paul talks about the, the Holy Spirit makes sense. If we're going to talk about who we are in Christ, if we're going to talk about a spiritual victory in Christ, if we're going to talk about our unity in Christ, obviously the Holy Spirit is part and parcel of all of it. Because the Holy Spirit is the great applier of all the truths of God in our lives. The one that is working in through us and among us and uh, so that we are unified because that is his goal and role is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through the lives of his people. Okay? And, and yet we struggle. Because we struggle, we need help. And we have help in the Spirit of God who dwells within us, who guides us, who empowers us, who leads us, who loves us, who prays for us, who guides us as we pray and is weaving us together in this tapestry that we can't fully fathom. But somehow he's doing it, we'll look at it one day and just be amazed. Um, we don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit of God. He will always act according to his word for the glory of Christ. And therefore we should pursue, as it were, relationship in through his word in the fellowship of the Father and the Son. Yeah. One of the uh, functions of the Spirit in our lives is to speak through the Bible and define who we are and what is normal. Right. And this was brought out in the film also. Right. Um, what is what is normal? We we uh, in, in, if we let our society define what is normal, well, it's normal for you to have your religion, but be quiet about it. You know, you have yours, I have mine. Uh, we don't, we don't need to talk about this. Um, you don't need to push yours on mine. But in Scripture, we are commanded to make disciples, to carry the word to all nations. Oh, but if I do, then I, I'm, people aren't going to like me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose the income. You know, in some places, I'll be put in prison. Um, so. Therefore, I can't. Well, no, that's not what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit is saying, do these things. And if you are getting pushback, if you are suffering consequences, if you are thrown in prison, um, Jesus is worth it. That's normal. That's the normal Christian life. And we, as we're listening to the Spirit of God, we need to make peace with that. Yeah. And Paul was an example of that, wasn't he? With his willingness to be in prison on more than one occasion for different lengths of the time, being beaten, being falsely accused, being you know, left. And he gives his description of everything that he went through, and it's, it's a lengthy list. Um, but at the end of his life, as he writes, we're not, we're not in the book of Philippians, we'll get there, but he's just saying, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And, oh, then Lord, help me understand. So grow in that even more, what that means. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, so, what is my life? But his redeemed 
serpent. I'm just a recipient of his redemption, and my life is to be used for him. And that under the power of the Spirit, for the well-being of the saints, because we have spiritual victory, because we're united to Christ, it all just fits together, the practical and the, the, the theoretical, if you will, it all hangs together. But the important thing that comes through is he's talking to a group of believers, he's talking to a church. And how hard is that for us to grasp? You want to individualize everything, which is true when you have an individual relationship with God. But it's not just me and God. He has brought me into a family. And so we can't have a long range of mentality because he didn't intend for that. How can we exercise our gifts and our spiritual uh, uh, blessings to one another if we're not actually interacting with one another? The last thing that I want us to point out to look at is Paul, Paul's prayers. So if we if we were to look at our typical prayer list, and, and I understand we pray we just pray about all things. So I, I understand that we start with that. We're praying that Paul even says in Ephesians chapter two, pray in the spirit on all things and all occasions. But how does Paul pray for believers? Let's take a quick look just in the book of Ephesians at two prayers that he offers for the believers in Ephesus. The first one is in chapter one. And starting in verse 15, going down to verse 23, it's, it's a descriptive prayer or a prayerful description. However you want to look at it, but this is how Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers, and then this is how he prays for them, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now that's flowery language, but do we pray like that for others? That we would have greater understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Oh Lord, he's praying that we would see, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. He's praying that we would be hopeful, that we would see what is happening and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This whole thing is a prayer as he goes down to verse 23. And how often do we pray for one another this way? I'm praying that you will grow in spiritual maturity and having your eyes open, you will see the greatness of the blessings you have in Christ, that you will be filled with hope, that you will have an understanding of the things of God, that you understand not only His greatness and His power, but the fact that you're in Him. We, we don't typically pray that way for those type of things. But Paul is praying this way for the saints. He's praying for, well... If you were with us today, you would pray this way. But now God uses these verses, right, for us to be able to pray for one another in this way. And in almost every one of his books, he has these types of prayers where he actually writes them out and says, this is how I'm praying for you. And suddenly this becomes a school. It becomes a, an education for us to look at the prayers and say, oh, Father, my prayers are weak compared to these prayers. Help me to pray, Father. Teach me to pray. Um, it's not that we have to repeat them verbatim, but have a greater awareness of if, in fact, our union is with Christ, and He is our all in all, and He is worth it all, should not we pray accordingly then if that is ultimately the will of God? And 
instead of just overcoming our little peccadillos and sufferings and whatever it is we have, which are important, but pale in comparison to becoming more like us. Okay? What about chapter 3? It gives us another prayer chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Now, we won't talk about the mystery of the gospel in chapter 3 with Gentiles and Jews coming together in Christ, but just look at what he says in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Even just reading it, I think, when's the last time I've ever dared to pray this way? And yet the Holy Word of God gives us these examples of how to pray for one another. That we would be grounded in Christ. Rooted in Christ. Understand the love of Christ. That Christ would... Well, he already dwells in us by faith, but that it would become an ever-growing experience of His effervescence, if you will, overflowing from our lives to those around us. And then He get, ends with a benediction. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or thank... Now that gives more meaning to that verse, doesn't it? When we look at how he is praying for the saints and we say, now to him who is doing even more than we ask and he dares to ask these <coughs> audacious things on their behalf, that even magnifies more what right? the importance of praying because God will go beyond what we ask. And yet he's asking for just some amazing things. I think it changes how we prioritize prayer and what we pray about for one another. According to His power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. So, you may find it helpful the next time you read through the letters of Paul to read them slowly and to look for the prayers that he offers to the Titus, the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Corinth. Because he has prayers tucked into every one of those letters. And they say, Lord, I'm Muslim. And say, Lord, help me to pray according to how you inspired your word, Jesus to pray. Then prayer becomes, I think, more exciting. Because what could be more exciting than becoming like Jesus? And then what could be more exciting than praying that you and you and you become like Jesus? And that we become like Jesus? And how would the world look if we became more like Jesus? Okay? And then I think we also look at and say, boy, do we need people to pray for these things for us, right? Yeah. We need, Lord, I'm undone. If you don't do these things, I'm going to make a wreck of everything. But I'm willing to take you at your word and pray this way. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, not only is he uh, giving us an example of how we ought to pray for others, I think he's also giving us an example of when we're holding someone up in prayer, tell them, I'm praying for you, for, you know, for your salvation, your growth, that 
God would open the Bible to your eyes that you would grow in knowledge and revelation and service. Um, when we tell somebody, I'm praying for you, that stimulates their faith. Sure. And I, I think also in, in a discipleship manner, it's pointing them and saying, here's, here's a good direction for you to grow. You know, <clears throat> if we're encouraging a young believer, or even, even if we're encouraging an older, uh, an established saint who's going through tough times, let them know. be our teacher so that the tools that are in our hands, if I can change the metaphor slightly, are what we're going to be using effectively. Very good. Very good. So what are some of the things that are unique? You've heard, you can guess now because we've talked about them. Okay? But what are some of the blessings in the book of Ephesians that if we didn't have we would miss out on some things? Um, long discussion on the spiritual nature of the church. I think we've seen that. We've, we've looked, yeah, and you'll you'll notice it more now when you go through Ephesians. Instead of just I, you, with the Lord, it's going to be we, thou. You know, it's going to be a sense of where it's, it's we're, we're addressing Him as His people. Okay, um, and it's good for us to be reminded. Um, 
more acutely aware of this because over time, you know, just uh, I started out in ministry with a parachurch organization that didn't always strongly emphasize the critical nature and essentialness of the local church. And I had to repent of that after a number of years and say, you know what, everything I do needs to be channeled with people into the local church to help build up the local church and had to work through different models in my own head so that I could be consistent in doing that. That the church is God's plan A. And he doesn't have a plan B. Yeah. So we have to work then to build up the plan A uh, in discipleship. In Ephesians, we have a long list of the blessings. We saw that last week we have in Christ. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul's not afraid to get right up in our in our face and say, Look, and husbands, this is how you live out marriage. Now, I think this is in the context of the church, right? The context of spiritual life, spiritual living. He gets right down into the community aspect of it, including relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children. Because he's already addressed believers interacting with believers. So the family, if we, what we might call the nuclear family in the West, but the family is to be a reflection, as it were, of the family of God's relationship with Christ. Okay? There should be that loving, submitting, encouraging, teaching, serving, uh, nurturing relationship that happens even within the church. And I just, I just you know, i got to take it. He, said, he says a lot more to the man than he does to the woman. And it needs to. Because <laughs> I think you were this. Right from Adam. With his passivity in the garden. Okay? In Ephesians, we have a, a, a global and cosmic impact of the church. I don't think we always think in terms of the fact that the church even touches the heavenlies, as it were. That, that, that the church is not only the church militant, was what we call you know, the church right now that's at war with the spiritual forces. It's us. We're alive. We're the church militant. Those that have gone on before us are part of the church at rest. And yet somehow there's a communion of saints. It's a mystery that my little brain can't quite wrap around. And yet the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews and the writer of Ephesians, Paul, try to help us to understand that this impact goes beyond just me and the street that I live on. It's impacting the community, but also it's involved in God's purposes around the world. He uses the word mystery, which is not like the mystery of uh, Agatha Christie. It's just something that was unknown that has been revealed. A truth of God has been revealed. Okay? I won't even say the deep secret thoughts of God. I'll just say that things that he didn't reveal before, but in his providential government, governance has now revealed them now. So that the questions that people might have had before, now they have answers to as far as how this is all working together. Um, spiritual warfare, and then we also talked about prayer. So all these things we've talked about during our discussion time now. Um, what would we do without the book of Ephesians? I mean, we would carry on, but aren't we glad that God saw fit to give us this gift that helps us grow in our understanding of who He is and how it contributes to the overall picture of the theology that we believe, what we teach, the, the communion of saints that we're part of. So as a result, then I would pick these verses to say, if you can remember what's in these verses, you will probably remember what the main purposes are for the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And he put all things under his feet. So God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. 
so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's those spiritual forces again that they're involved. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thoughts on the book of Ephesians? Just a general thought about yeah. the privilege of being we talk about what if we didn't have a book of Ephesians? Well, in this day and time, springing off that thought, we're privileged to have the whole scripture accessible to us. And that, that is unique, somewhat unique in the history of the church. I mean, as far as the, the, the last 2,000 years, people didn't always have equal access. And now, if, if someone were to tell us, we're going to come after all the Bibles, you can have them. There are so many Bibles that eliminating the Bible would be virtually impossible. And we, we need to thank God for that. It's also a good reason to memorize it, right? Yep. We have it hidden in our hearts and hidden in our minds, even if a fire blows away everything we have. You know, we can still have the Word of God in our hearts. Um, if you're put in prison without a Bible, which may happen, it happens in certain parts of the world, the more that we have memorized, the more that we have meditated upon, the more we'll be able to continue to have fellowship with God through His Word, if, for whatever reason, the Word was taken away. And if we have the Word in our hearts, it's going to change our character as we go along. We saw a beautiful example of this in Carol's day. He was a life, well, from the time he was 19, a water call in the ministry. He was a pastor. He was a church planner, evangelist in Belgium and England and France. And he just was a man of the word. He just read the word every day, every day, memorized, preached, memorized. When he got older, and he had older person's issues with his memory, he couldn't read anymore. He would try to read a book, and he couldn't remember what he just read. But he had hidden the word in his heart. And he could still quote scripture. And he could still sing the hymns. And he could still, he actually, didn't he preach a couple sermons about the notes? Because he had just, he had it in his heart and mind. And I thought, Lord, I need to be like this man. So that when I lose my mind one day, you know, probably all of this is going to happen. Is there enough hidden in our hearts, in our minds, that is transforming our character even now, so that that aroma of Christ will come out even when the memory starts So even if we have the Bible available, we might reach a point where we can't comprehend what we're reading, but what is hidden in our heart remains. And it's a challenge, isn't it, to be people of the Word and to have the Word in us with, while we have the time to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, Ripken wrote in his book, The Insanity of God, it wasn't in the movie, but uh, one of the things he said was that when he was talking to people who had been under persecution under the Soviet bloc, and now they were more free than they were then, um, there was a time when if you gathered people from the church 
you could piece together the whole Bible because each of them would have parts of it memorized and, and they, could, they could do that. They, would, they were intent on that. After having been out from under that strong persecution for 10 or 15 years, the new generation coming up had not made that an emphasis and they couldn't do that anymore. How important it is for us to use our freedom wisely. That sounds like an interesting home group game. Yeah. Get people together and say, uh, okay, let's try to reconfigure just from our memories Psalm 24, for example. Psalm 100 or Matthew 6. And then see how close we can come with our collective knowledge of reproducing that. It'd be fun and challenging at the same time. Right? <laughs> well, well, modern technology is... Uh, makes it difficult. And what I mean by that, just the printed Bible. But there was a time when the memory was the, was the, was the way that things were passed on. In other words, you, people exercise their memory, or the natural memory abilities to, that's, that, that was the only way that things were passed. Uh, and so it, it was important to remember. It's still true in oral cultures today that tell stories where they pass them on word for word. Which is why some people today look at the scriptures and they say, well, it, you know, they must have passed it on from different generations by memory and we know memories fail. They're comparing apples and oranges. When you have cultures where they could, they could reproduce a body of literature word for word because that's all they did was they memorized. They didn't have it written down. And their memories collectively and individually were, were faithful. But today, you're right. We, um, it's so easy for me just to punch something in the search bar and I get the answer right then. I don't have to bother to learn, right? So now I let my brain get lazy. <laughs> I don't want my brain to be lazy. I want my brain, I want my mind to love God, which is a uh, vigorous, active, intellectual exercise that I need yet. And something happens when we memorize the process of it. The memorizing each verse something happens in our mind that we have to analyze each word that doesn't happen if we just answer in. So the process of memorizing changes us. That doesn't happen any other way. Right. Question. Quick, quick question. Yes. Sir. Is the armor of God in Ephesians 6, that's what I think of when I think of Ephesians, is that unique to Ephesians? Putting on the armor? Well, so... No, it's not unique to Ephesians, but you have a couple of different thoughts that are often presented at this point. Some would say, well, you know, Paul was sitting in a Roman prison and he's sitting there looking at the Roman officer that's holding him in prison and he's just looking at his equipment and he's saying, this is what we need to do. And that's a possible explanation. Um, another possible explanation is Paul is actually referring to things in the, in the prophet Isaiah where God has clearly called our righteousness or our shield or our faith. And so Paul is reminding them of the promises in Christ before the prophets. I'm not sure we have to choose. Because Paul was in a Roman prison looking at a Roman soldier. But he was also well aware of the promises in Isaiah and elsewhere that talk about who God is for us. 
Um, but as far as the explaining or the, 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 the each particular piece, yeah, it's unique to Ephesians. And that says, yeah, putting it all together. <clears throat> and when I've taught on it, I tend to start out with the Roman soldier interpretation because it's easy for us to figure out shield, sword, peak shoes, all these things. But then I say, but beyond all of this, we need to recognize this is all in God. And then you go to Isaiah and show where he is our faithfulness, he is our righteousness, he is our shield, he is our... And so you put it all together and ultimately we're still completely dependent on Christ. Did we not sing that this morning? My one defense, my righteousness. Okay? That's what... That, that, that is that shield, as it were. You know, uh, because we are in Christ. He is our defender. So, it can be a both end. Other thoughts? Okay, so let's turn to Ephesians 5 then. Was there a question? Just a ponder. Okay. <laughs> we'll ponder together. Ephesians 5. I want us to take a little look at kind of how Paul pulls a lot of these strands together. And I want us to look at a, a biblical picture of worship as he presents it here. Okay? And it's going to be in the context of this famous saying of be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're in chapter 5. And I'm just going to read from verse 15 down to 21. And then we're going to kind of walk through the text. Again. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the chapter starts with a command to be imitators of God. Okay, so the first three chapters talking about who we are in Christ, great theology, 4, 5, and 6, this is how you live out this theology. Chapter 5, be imitators of God, you contrast those that live in impurity, those that live in purity, those that are sons of darkness, those that are sons of the light, and then look carefully how you walk, walking is a manner of living, right? Not as the wise... Not as the unwise, but as wise. And now we hear Paul's prayer, don't we? Where he's already prayed for them that they would have wisdom and insight and understanding. And now he's saying, walk according to wisdom. Don't be foolish. Know what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine. But be filled with the Spirit. So immediately we see a contrast here between one way of living, which is according to the ways of what? Sons of disobedience, the ways of darkness, those not walking according to the light versus those that are the children of the light, walking according to wisdom and insight, who are filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a command there to be filled with the Spirit. The command is in the plural. Second person. Now he's writing to the church. And it's in the present tense. So the command is all of 
Ephesian Christians, be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing manner. Present continues. Okay? What's that look like? In other words, you could translate it literally as be being filled. You know? <laughs> it doesn't make good English, but that really is close from the Greek. That the present continuous command. Ongoing basis, be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't be filled with the ways of the world, the sons of disobedience, the way of debauchery, those walking in darkness. Okay? So we have a picture of what the command is here. That we're to be filled with the Spirit. Which means to be under the control of the Spirit. Which means to be guided by the Spirit. He's already dwelling within us. We're letting Him lead us. You know? We have these expressions even in our own language where we see He was full of rage. And when we say someone's full of rage, what do we mean? They're under control of rage. Rages. Well, here we be full of the Spirit of God, the Spirit that is leading us. And now because He's writing to a church about the fullness of the Spirit, He tells us what that will look like as we as a community of believers are being full of the Spirit of God. And out of that, He gives four... can't think of the word right now. Um, light commands, but four manifestations, if you will. can't think of the word, the... Carol, help with the grammar here. The, uh, it's not a command. It is a... Result? No, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. Okay, but there's four things then. What, what it looks like. Okay? The first one is, as we are filled with the Spirit, led by the control of the Spirit of God, what does he say? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is what being full of the Spirit of God looks like. Right? We're speaking to one another. We're edifying one another. We're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the example we just had, how the believers could get together and recite Scripture. That would be a manifestation of that. The fact that we get together and we encourage one another. Right? That we sing to one another. There is something important that happens when we sing corporately. I've been in church services that look like rock concerts. Great big auditoriums, huge stages, the lights are turned out, the bass is turned up, and you're boom, 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 and you can't hear yourself sing, and you can't see anybody else sing. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Right. Because I can't hear you sing. Now, some of you say, you want to hear me sing. Yes, I do. I want to hear you sing. Because the Bible here says that we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That means we'll be a singing church, a worshiping church, singing, addressing, speaking, edifying one another. Because I need to hear the impact, the word, the song, the the, the meditation is having on you. And you need to hear the impact it's having on me. And we encourage one another then by doing that. Okay? You see that? We're speaking to one another. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then what's the next action verb? Singing. Singing. Present participles. Huh? Present participles. Participles. That's the word I'm looking for. Present participles. That have imperatival force <laughs> means they have a force in the command, but they're not in command form. you got to know grammar. Just bear with me. They have the force of a command, but they're actually in what's called an imperatival form. Era, uh, what she just said. <laughs> Participle. That's the word. <laughs> she, she 
He's the grammar guru in our family. Yeah, I just follow along. Okay, so singing is the next one. Singing. So I need to hear you speak the word of God. I need to hear you give testimonies. I need you to encourage me. You need the same thing. We need it for each other. That can't happen looking at a flat screen in my living room. Sorry to say. Okay? I sometimes do that. I do listen to podcasts. I do. But it doesn't replace being with all y'all on Sunday morning. Okay? So that's, this is what the fullness of the Spirit looks like in the context of a church. We're speaking to one another. We're singing to one another. And what? Making melody to the Lord. Now, I don't think... I don't think he's necessarily saying perfect in-pitch harmony with one another. <laughs> some of us can't hold the pitches in our hand. Okay. <laughs> but the idea that we, we contribute to each other. We fill in what the other person can because no one voice is sufficient, right, for a choir. And so we need all these voices in the choir of uh, God's people singing. That means then you should say and sing out loud. Okay? Look, <laughs> if we waited for perfection in anything, we wouldn't do anything. But we're to be in the process of just applying. And, and I would rather you be joyfully singing the off-key than sit in a church for 40 years and never express the joy in your heart that can only come out by singing. Okay? So let it, let it go. You know, um, maybe some of us should go to black church once in a while because yeah, yeah, they, they know how to just, you know, they're my brothers. I've been in some great church service with the preaching of the word, and I just I thank them for being willing to express the joy. Um, so speaking, addressing. What's the third one of verse twenty? Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Remember, we're talking about the spirit-filled church. What does the fullness of the Spirit look like in the context of the local church being full of the Spirit, worshiping together, giving thanks? And being grateful. And being grateful. Giving thanks always for most of the good things that happen to you. <laughs> giving thanks for when things just go your way. Giving thanks for when it just turned out well for you. Is that, is that what he's saying? Giving thanks always. Always and for all things. For all things. Does that mean that all things are good? No, we instinctively know that. That's not what that means. But we should be a church that is thankful. Thankful in all things and everything. Meaning we can thank God enough that he's led us through this, that he will provide, that we're in this together, that we can encourage one another in the midst of the trial, we can address one another in the midst of the trial, and we can thank God that he has not abandoned us, and he knows what he's doing. We can be thankful that he's in control. We don't have to say, I thank you that I broke my leg in three places. Okay, we can be thankful that now I'm in a position where I need to let others serve me, help me. I have to get rid of my pride. I have to be willing to be part of a larger group. We thank the Lord that I can trust you even in this situation. Okay? Did you say not to be thankful for the three breaks? I don't know that I would say thank you that you I broke my leg three times. Come on. Initially. Initially. I might say a year later when I had greater understanding. 
I will be thankful that I can trust God in that situation. Okay? Now, I would like to think I'm sanctified enough that you, you know, that you can't, I would immediately say thank you. But I've been with people that have just, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Everything's going wrong with them. I say, thank you, Lord. And, and a couple years later, soon you're on the edge of insanity. They're, they're, they're broken free from reality. I'm saying, invite God into the situation. That's what I mean. Don't be, don't be superficial. Okay? Thankful. Do we have a spirit of thanksgiving? Do we humbly recognize our dependency upon God? Do we praise Him in the valley like we praise Him on the mountain? Do we praise Him when we have like we praise Him when we don't have? Okay? Do we praise Him when we're in prison like we praise Him when we're out of here? Okay? We don't give thanks because it's good. We give thanks because God is good. Yeah. Do we commit? Okay. That's I didn't say it the right way the first time. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you did it in Africa, I remember. <laughs> what did I do? When we walked, and after a while, you said, "Okay, we need to stop and thank God because." Thank God that we were robbed. Now, members, a member is praying, but I think it was more we thank you because we can trust you. Yeah. That you've brought this into our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you will bring something out of it. I don't remember, I don't remember what I did. I just I don't remember the words, but I remember that you said we need to stop and we need to thank God for this. Yeah. And he did bring good out of it. Yeah. So, addressing, speaking, singing, giving thanks. All things, everywhere, God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the last one? Submitting. Mm-hmm. Submitting. Paul had to go there. He had to go there. I can give a word of thanks. I can give praise. I can encourage. I can address. I can do all these things. Submit. What if we... And that's the word, submit. But what if we understood it in terms of serving? Serving one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, submission has become kind of a bad word. It's a biblical word. But we don't always understand it. But if it's in the context of respectfully serving one another, that's showing proper submission. And then Paul's going to go on and say, we don't submit to each other in the same way in every relationship. There's a way that that submission shows itself. So he talks about husbands and wives. He talks about uh, parents and children. He talks about different ways. We don't, there's a way that we show submission to one another. It's not equal submission to each other in every circumstance. It's according to the relationships that we have. Okay? But serving, we understand. And serving is what? Humility and action. Willing to serve one another. Okay? But let's stick with the word submission. Because that's the one that stays a little more. Okay? If we had to evaluate ourselves, if I had to evaluate me, scale of 1 to 10, I am a submissive person. I would have to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> no, what I'd really say is I'm in the process. I have not become what I think God wants me to become. 
but I'm more, I think, by His grace than I was when I first started this journey 40 years ago. Okay? But it's good for me to recognize that I fall down in all these areas. Because what's the point? To be filled with the Spirit of God. And the control of God. The control of the Spirit. Because of all the blessings that He has given us. And as a result, I can live this out, you can live this out, we can live this out in the context of the church. Okay? Yeah. That's a, this is a lifelong process of submitting, right? Very much like um, walking in our faith. Well, as you know, present continuous with, uh, what's that word again? Participle. With a participle. <laughs> yes, it's ongoing. But it should be progressing. Right? It should be growing. Yep. But I gotta tell you, when our pastor says he's not there yet, I'm, I'm way, way out there. Yeah, but your pastor puts his shoes on one at a time as well, and needs the grace of God each morning as he begins. So, they're, they're, we're all, let me throw a big word at you, we're all ontologically the same. We all have the same status. Desperately in need of Christ. They're just in a different position as far as how we serve within the church. Okay. And we're all useful. Yes, oh yes. Yes, and required to be useful and to exercise our usefulness, right? And that's what it means. So, how does this change then our thinking when we think in terms of being filled with the Spirit? And this is what it looks like in the context of the communion of saints, the church. Changes in how we approach it. Now, when Paul will give a very similar exhortation to the church in Colossae, he will say, be filled with the word of Christ. Okay? And then he'll do the same thing. Speaking and addressing and giving thanks and serving. So let's not miss that point that being filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of God. Okay? Who gave us the Word? Who instructs us in the Word? Who empowers us in the Word? So that we are a Word-saturated people under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what this will look like in these things. And I think we all long for a gathering like this on an ongoing basis. And when we don't see it, there's a, there's a longing, there's a pain in our soul. And so we have to go back to the source and say, Oh Lord, would you bring it about in my life so that I can help you in your life. So my wife can help me in my life and I can help in her life and we can be speaking and encouraging one another because we do need each other. And look for those signs of growth. Don't just get hung up on the signs of weakness or the realities. Look for those signs of growth and keep moving forward. Okay? But the key point here is out of what? How does verse 21 end? Submitting or serving one another? Out of? Fear. Fear. Fear God. of God. Well, fear, does he have God or Christ there? Christ. I have God. Okay, so I need to look at some. I have out of reverence for Christ. So I'm just wondering if there's a textual issue going on here. But if you're in fear of God and you're in reverence for Christ, you're going to be okay. <laughs> um, but if that's. So, in other words, that fear of God is going to lead us to what? To be, want to be full of God and His power so we serve one another as the people of God. And that's what we long for. So, when we come back next week and we have our Thanksgiving service. In the morning, we'll spend some time on Thanksgiving. 
We'll have a testimony time in the afternoon with a good meal. Maybe the Lord will cause us this week to reflect more on Ephesians 5 and say, Lord, what can we be doing to see this kind of more reality in what we're doing here? Yeah. A question about being filled with the Spirit. Yeah. I've heard the Holy Spirit described as God's energy that indwells us and flows through us from the ministry of people. And we can have more or less of it depending on whether we've spent time in the Word and in prayer, whether we prayed up. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I don't like... Prayed up. I don't like the energy, energy yeah. force kind of language because the Holy Spirit is a person. Not an idiot. Yeah. Okay? He is God, the Holy Spirit. And so when we are full, as it were, of the Holy Spirit, it's because we're in a personal relationship with Him. He's guiding us. He's walking with us. He's speaking to us through the Word. He's empowering us, yes. But I don't like the idea of I go to the gas station and put some gas in and I got a little more of the Spirit than I had before. No. Think of it in terms of fellowship. Am I more in fellowship with the Spirit? Am I more obedient uh, understanding of his word and listening to him in this personal relationship that I have with him. So, am I walking with him? Right? I, I find that much more helpful uh, because Jehovah's Witness will talk about the Holy Spirit as the power of God or the force of God. No, he's a living being who is eternal and capable of personal relationships. And he wants more influence in our lives. And that's why we submit to him. And that, that fullness then is his controlling power in working through us. Okay? I think that's a better way of looking at it. Yeah. The, the analogy tends to make us lean toward a power or a, a substance, a pitcher is full of water. Right. You know, but, but we also understand what it means to talk about a disciple or a follower. They're full of the person that they were learning from. You know, you squeeze them in and they'll quote that person, but the spirit of that person is, is being evident in their attitudes. Um, so we can understand being full of a person also. Okay. But I like, but we need to always keep in mind just that personal relational aspect of our relationship with God the Holy Spirit. That He is not an it. Yeah. He's kind of a second-class participant in the whole truth. Yeah. He's fully God with all the benefits and privileges of Godhood. Um, but His role is to manifest more and more the character of Christ in us. That's what He desires to see happen. So, we pursue a relationship with Him <laughs> in His fullness. But that's a good, thank you for bringing it up because that, that does lend itself to confusion in common parlance. Yeah. Was there another question over here? No? One here? No. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share. Father, thank you for the good times we can have together in your spirit. And thank you for the, 
the challenge that you have given to us to walk as a community of people that are thankful because we're filled with the love and power of Christ. So Lord, teach us this week. We need you to do that. We want you to do that. And help us to be quick to listen to the teaching you give. And to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.